My name is Nick. And I'm Damien. You're listening to the EQIQ Podcast. This is where the independent scientist and biotech entrepreneur come to find new paths to success. Join us as we discuss strategies to launch your vision, grow your team's potential, and uncover hacks to push your career well beyond what you thought possible. And we're on. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the EQIQ podcast. I am Nick, my co-host, Damien. Yo. Hello. And Pablo in the background. Hey, guys. How is it going? Good, good, good. I Lovely. am super stoked. Springtime is in the air. <laughs> so I want to jump right into this one because I know it's going to be pretty packed. Last time we talked about negotiations and how we want to be when we're entering and the mindset around uh, having those discussions. Mm -hmm. And so having those discussions around how you feel about some of the negotiations and setting the right mindset in and around it is pretty important. Because if we look at trying to come into it as an adversarial win-lose scenario, it makes things a little bit harder and difficult. But we start to look at it in more of a collaborative manner and makes all of the challenges of negotiation that's much easier to get through, especially when it comes down to like running the numbers. And running the numbers is is something that we all know that we need to do, you know, to prepare for negotiations. But I, I want to really dive into it because I don't think that it's very well understood how much work needs to be put before going into these negotiations. Not only that, but how these numbers are going to affect those feelings before you go in. So it's super, super important to at least touch on these and see what you're getting yourself into uh, mm -hmm. before you figure it out in front of that interview panel. Mm -hmm. And it's not like we're not saying that the numbers don't matter. They matter. They truly, totally matter. It's just not at which the value you believe that they matter. And I think that's where the mindset is more is so important to get that right first. And then the numbers just start to make sense. I can't say how often it happens that I'm going through a budget with someone of something that we've created together. We've literally gone through <laughs> step after step and we decide all the pieces of equipment they need, mm -hmm. all the personnel that they're going to require, everyone mm -hmm. and everything that they're going to need to make their science successful. Mm -hmm. And we put the sum together and all of a sudden, oh my God, way too big of a number. I'm going to have to scale that back. <laughs> like, there is no way that my budget is going to be $6 million. They're not going to give that to me. Mm -hmm. But Nick, the numbers do matter, right? <laughs> yeah, they matter because that is exactly what it is that your science is going to need. And mm -hmm. when we're making these budgets and, and putting these documents together, it is about how you're going to be prepared to go into those conversations. Oh, like that one client you were working with who, where he flipped out after you guys went through a budget together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, one, one in particular. I mean, I, I think that when you're putting these budgets together, especially if you haven't seen the size of the, the numbers that we're going to be working with, mm -hmm. uh, the final tally typically has a few more zeros than people expect. Mm -hmm. And that can be, I want to say, detrimental to mm -hmm. that negotiation because they're going into that conversation anxious. Mm -hmm. They're going into that conversation unsure. Mm -hmm. 
And worst of all, they're going into that conversation thinking about the numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because our whole goal around getting people ready and going over all the equipment and the prices and the dollar figures mm-hmm. is to get that head trash out of the way. Mm. That way we can really focus in on the science because mm-hmm. that is what everyone is going to be there for. Yeah. Well, I think we talked a lot about this in their last episode around this kind of head trash. Okay, so that's what kind of hashed that part out. So let's just say, Nick, we now all are in agreement and we are have the right head trash out of the way <laughs> and we're all on the same path. We're all in, quote, this unalignment of what these goals are. Then what is what are we to do as, a, say, a client or somebody who is really interested in putting a budget together? Unfortunately, it's very, very simple. <laughs> or and fortunately. I, <laughs> well, I say unfortunately because as you might know, the simpler things are, the more complicated they seem to be to put together. Mm-hmm. And all people need to do to put these budgets together is to know what they want. Mm. And again, it sounds very, very simple. And off the top of your head, everyone probably thinks, oh yeah, I know what my project is going to be. Mm-hmm. But we have to dive into those numbers. We have to dive into those times. We have to dive into every small detail. Mm, mm. So to put a budget together, uh, what we want to do is really focus on the science. And our method has these five pillars that we Mm. really want to follow. Yeah, you're right. It starts with your hypothesis as a scientist. And Mm -hmm. we say the first part of that cornerstone is the hypothesis. What are the questions you're asking? And that, in essence, starts the first metric is the timeline. And then your second one is, what are the data and reagents in order to produce and answer those questions in that hypothesis? And then the third pillar is, what are the tools and equipments used to produce the data and reagents to answer that hypothesis? (laughs) The fourth one is, what are the knowledge and skill sets that you need in order to use the tools and equipments to produce the data and reagents to answer that question? And then the last but not least, but is super important, but we actually let people know this is the order in which you do this because it starts to make sense, is applying the pricings. And now you start to know these are the cornerstones for being able to answer the questions that you want to be answered. And we kind of build it from there. Right. And so you can see that by starting with the science, because this is really just a thought exercise to get you Mm -hmm. get those creative juices going and to start thinking about, oh, yeah, I'm going to need, you know, two texts. I'm going to need X amount of tips. I'm going to need a microscope. I don't know. Uh, But the very last thing is to put this budget together Mm -hmm. and then look at the pricing. Pricing is the very, 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 very last element. and Probably the hardest thing to do because we want people to just ignore that (laughs) price. (laughs) Because some of these pieces of equipment are so expensive. And if you've never looked at them before, uh, it can be pretty (laughs) off-putting. Yeah. I mean, okay, let's go back to, say, a question about a specific disease model or some specific research question you're trying to ask. And Mm -hmm. you have, say, a timeline. That timeline can range anywhere between five to ten years, however you want to put it together. But what would you say is probably the first one or two things that they really should focus all their attentions by cataloging their, their budget? My own personal preference is 
to have a range of five years, whether you're academic or industry, five years seems to be a pretty significant amount of time. You know, in business, we hear the five-year business plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In academia, five years is typically around the time, you know, that 10-year clock, right? That's mm-hmm, the, okay. That we're, we're always talking about. So five years is nice. If that's too much, I've brought it down a lot. I've brought it down to three years. Mm-hmm. And still, if that's too much, you can bring it down even more. But I, I really hesitate to do that because starting and, and beginning, there's a lot of first time and one time costs that are associated and you can't really extend those. So try and stick to to the three to five year range and, and you should be okay. Yeah, if you can still like make sure that you can answer all of those questions in that amount of time. But I guess right. the, the hypothesis still directs that timeline as well, right? Definitely. And so that that first thing that you want to do in looking at this time range is really confirm those estimates that you make. Uh, a lot of people will come to us and say, oh, you know, I think I'll be able to do this project in two years. Mm-hmm. So we really need to follow those pillars and Mm -hmm. find out if it actually is two years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we're going down to experiment level details. How many times do you think you're going to have to do some array or whatever analysis that you need to do? Use that experience that you have. You know, the people that we're working with have been in the lab. Mm -hmm. They've done these things. They are experts in the field. So use that experience. Find out how many times you actually need to do it because those numbers not only come in handy at first when we're trying to figure out the timeline of your project, but will also come in handy later Mm -hmm. when we're trying to figure out the cost of everything. Yeah, I know. I've I've always done that too. I'm like, well, depends. How many times are you going to do the experiment? They're like, "Uh, well, I don't know. I'm like, Uh, well, if you don't know your science, so. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And you're really essentially creating a proposal for people. And that more common in industry because we're used to these, the, you know, the dollar metric to guide things a little bit more closely. Mm-hmm. But those numbers, they take a long time to figure out at the beginning, but they do come in handy again. And mm-hmm. at some point you're going to have to do them. So you might as well do them at first. Yeah. Then once we have a nice timeline, we are going to, again, be focusing on the science. So the first thing we're going to do is figure out the equipment you're going to need to do the experiments you want to do. Mm. And for those of you that don't know, these equipments, they're called capital equipment. They're called capital in the sense that these are assets or equipments that can be purchased, a one-time purchase. And most often in industry or within the government, they're known anything that's above $5,000. And so I know for some of the, our audience and scientists that they don't know what capital means. This is kind of what that means. So we're going to split that equipment, the actual analysis equipment, but also everything else you're going to need to, to do these experiments. Think of hoods to do, you know, cellular work Mm -hmm. or computers that are going to be driving some sort of hardcore analysis. Anything that's going to be over that $5,000 mark is going to be considered a capital piece of equipment and everything underneath that is subcapital. Mm -hmm. Step one is just figure out the equipment. We don't really, we just know the experiments that you want to do so you can really quickly identify what it is you need for those. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to get pretty granular when it comes to the subcapital equipment. Or anything under (laughs) 5,000. So because those, we're identifying, you know, all the little pieces of equipment that everyone's going to need to work, right? We're thinking pipettes. We're even thinking about plastics, 
and uh, consumables. Supplies. Right. Mm -hmm. The reason why those things are a little bit more tricky is because once you've identified the different elements that you're going to need for people to work, mm -hmm. you need to find out how many people you're going to have in your lab to do the work. I think that's where the skills and knowledge come into place. Like if I need somebody who knows how to use animal models, then their skills should match that versus somebody who's straight chemistry background, right? Right. And what we're going to do at this step, because we're so early, we mm -hmm. want to consider your budget or consider this plan that we're putting together as something that's being done independent of any other type of support. So that means if you're in academia, we're thinking no collaborations, we're mm -hmm. thinking no course. This is purely in your lab. Everything mm -hmm. is going to be in your lab. If we are in industry, we are thinking no CROs, no collaborations as well. CROs, just for those that don't know, is contract research organizations. Basically, you outsource certain practices and services instead of doing it in-house. Right. And this is just the method. I realize that there are instances where outsourcing can be more expensive depending on what you're doing or less expensive. But just for the purposes of building the budget, you know, we are three steps in. Mm -hmm, uh, we're, mm -hmm. We just want to keep everything in-house to, to create it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so far what we've done is the thought exercise with mm -hmm. the five pillars, mm -hmm. which are... The hypothesis timeline, the data reagents, tools and equipment, and knowledge and skills, and pricing. And following those five pillars, we're going to move into the second phase, which is more of that planning. You know, we're looking at what experiments we're going to need, how many times we're going to need to do them. Then we're going to start up with the actual budget, which we start with looking at the equipment, equipment being split up into capital equipment, anything over $5,000, and subcapital equipment, anything under $5,000. And remember that once we've figured out what the equipment that we're going to need, then we need to think about how many people we're going to need. That knowledge, what is the knowledge that we're going to need and what are the skills that we're going to require because those are going to influence the numbers of the equipment. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying here is this is basically representing their max budget, kind of like in ideal situations where they have everything. I call it the writing a blank check, right? Absolutely. Yeah. This is going to be your top level, most expensive financial budget that you're putting together. And we haven't even entered any of the reagents or anything. I, I like how you're going with within this structured path, because I think helping people to understand this step-by-step -step process to putting it a budget together isn't necessarily for the number's sake, but is much more for a thought experiment of like, what are you doing to accomplish a goal? One analogy I tend to like to work with clients is saying you're going camping and you want to go camping. Your objective is to enjoy a camping experience, but you need certain supplies and equipments to go on to this camping camping. And so I say, pack everything you can think of. <laughs> and so, yes, your car is not going to be able to provide the ability to do it, but you want to make sure that you optimize for the experience of killing camping. And so as you start to put things together, you can then now prioritize what are the things that you do. Well, we definitely need a tent. We definitely need sleeping bags. Do we need this big, huge, like outdoor cooking grill that like, no. So we chuck those things out. And so these are some of the things that sets the priority. And this is why we look at these pillars in our methodology, because it helps to maximize their science and your specific aims that you're trying to reach. Right. And how I like to describe this exercise in making the budget is that this document that we're coming up with, that we are creating and, and putting dollar figures on, is actually a 
byproduct mm -hmm. of what we're actually trying to do. Yeah, I like to tell them it's kind of like a living document. So it's going to fluctuate. It's going to change. It's not going to be always this big, huge number. Mm. But I think the overall vision of this is that a budget should really help accentuate your vision of what you want ideally in a laboratory setting. And the more you can identify real world tangible resources and tag it with actual uh, identifiable equipment, tools, the types of personnel, then from, from a financial standpoint, people can see the rationale behind why this price tag costs this much. From a financial perspective, it just has to make sense. Financially speaking, I don't like putting a dollar figure on how much someone's science is going to be because all science is different. All the budgets are going to be different. So just because your friends got, you know, some six figure startup package or <laughs> another one of your entrepreneur friends just made it big and got like a $30 million seed round doesn't mean that that's what you're going to get and mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that's what you need. Oh my God. You don't even know the number of times <laughs> I've come across somebody who's, I call it the list. Right. And, and so I, they're like, Hey, so Damien, we want help putting a budget together. I'm like, all right, so do you have something already? They're like, yes, we got the list. I'm like, where'd you get your list from? Oh, we got it from such and such person because they got X amount of dollars from this institution or from this investor. I'm like, all right, so you're going to build your budget based upon somebody else's vision and goal? Yeah. Well, we needed a template. I like to go back to the cake analogy. So you're going to build your wedding cake off of a Betty Crocker template. Right. And then you're kind of like, uh, how does that make sense? And the challenge here is people force it. They force themselves into this boundary of limitation. And this mm -hmm. is where I said, like, we have to start with the science because then you reverse engineer the budget from that. Because if you start with the numbers, you're going to continuously confine yourself. And how many times have you had someone come up with the lab that they've been training in? And they say, this is the amount of money that we spent in the past five years. So this is how much I'm going to be budgeting for. You know, I <laughs> I have to admit it makes sense in that logical scenario. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's fine. But the vision of what is to transpire is these questions that haven't been done before. Right. And so using past historical financial data can help, but is actually the future science of the different questions is really genuinely going to be representative. So for example, what if you were building an animal model, but all your previous data that supported to do an animal model was all computational. Right. And so you're going to use computational financial data to say, oh, what it's going to be to build an animal model? You're like, no, not at all. And so I think this is the problem where scientists, they default to financiers, the people from the grants funding agencies and from the institutions or VCs to dictate what is the vision. But I think that's kind of reverse. Like Again, finances really help. Mm -hmm. But I think if people can say there is a balance to know what is feasible or what kind of resources is available, right? but what that vision or the question, the hypothesis will dictate what genuinely the real world financial data will be. I do understand why you would fall back on those people though, because the vast majority, I mean, I can't speak for, you know, the serial entrepreneurs or the big professors that are, you know, that have moved a few times, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of people, they've done this never. <laughs> Yeah. Or this is like their second time. And the last time they did it was 12 years ago. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, the VCs and, and the finance people are the ones that we're typically falling back on because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are setting it up. They're the ones that are looking at the budgets that are coming through all the time. Mm-hmm. But I want to also add to this is that when you think about the mindsets in around this, we have to agree that the finance people or the people that are funding our research and our uh, scientific endeavors, they truly want us to be successful. Right. They just need to know and have an understanding how to help us. To, mm-hmm. So we can't see them as people that are restricting us. What they're trying to do is trying to understand how to support us. And so with that in mind, we can say, all right, these are the questions I want to answer and then be able to provide these resources to answer those questions and then work with the financiers saying, all right, how much do you believe these resources are? Can you identify the resources for us? Let them come up with the numbers and stuff. Right. Now, the practice of putting a budget together really makes you identify the resources and justify it. Mm-hmm. So when we're working with the clients and saying, wow, I, they're so reactive to the numbers, they're just not used to working with those numbers. Right. But a financier may be... So we've done negotiations where some of them don't even flinch. They're like, oh, that's, oh, is that all the money you're asking? And then they're like, oh, I should ask for more. But some are like, oh my God, there's no way we can be able to support this, but we can support in ways that can help you. So, and I think this is why it's a dialogue constantly and it turns into this living document. And it's not that they can't provide any help because the examples that they can give you, you know, if you're going to your lab manager or your previous lab manager or some mm-hmm. collaborators uh, and asking them for, you know, what are your Running costs. What have they been? What does it look like? What are the equipment that you're using? Or there's a lab that is similar mm-hmm. in style that that you want to have. And going to them and, and looking at the equipment that they have, it's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. It's just we need people to remember that every lab and every science is individual. So those those budgets are going to look different. Because Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what somebody else needs to be successful isn't necessarily what you need to be successful. Mm -hmm. Yep. I I give credit for those that come to us who have attempted to put a budget. I've seen them on elaborate Excel spreadsheets to Mm -hmm. on the back of a napkin calculations. And that, in essence, just shows me and even people that are in the financing world that says you have taken some effort to try to calculate the value or financial resources on your vision. And that can go much further than those that says this is the ballpark number that I anticipate and am in deserve it of it. And that produces this diva mentality that Mm -hmm. nobody really wants to support that and stuff. And you're like, I'm worth $5 million and you have to give it to me. Nobody's going to want to help that kind of ego-driven personality. Right. Because what what we're trying to create and what we're trying to set you guys up for is to enter these negotiations able to justify every little piece. And if you know your science, if you've gone through all these steps, you know the pillars, you've gone through picking out the capital equipment, finding out how many people you have to get the right number of pipettes that your lab is going to need, followed up by reworking everything. You know, we haven't touched upon outsourcing anything, but these are steps that happen later on in Mm -hmm. creating the budget once you have that base number. Mm -hmm. And to focus on the science, to enter those conversations, being able to be passionate and confident about what you're saying, Mm -hmm. saying that it's going to take four to five years to achieve the specific games that you're presenting them. Mm-hmm. And these are the items, these are the people, these are the numbers that mm-hmm. I'm going to need. It's going to change that negotiation mm-hmm. into a conversation. Beautiful. And it is no longer going to be about how much money are you going to need to be successful. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a conversation about this is the scientific goal that we have. How are we going to get there 
together. Mm, beautiful. Nicely summed up. I think to wrap this up, the main thing that our agency helps in is saying, we love your idea. Let's continue to help make this idea a great idea and enter into these conversations in much less stressful manner by helping you to focus on what are the resources and then how to articulate and have those kind of conversations around these resources and to support those resources needed to meet that vision. And I think that makes it easier if you have some somebody that also believes in your work and should help you to do that. And I think it's not easy for uh, any one person to jump at this by themselves. And I think that in essence is saying to for those independent entrepreneurs and independent investigators, you don't necessarily have to do this alone. There are those that are out there that are wanting and willing to help and support you. You've got to like be able to meet and connect with them. And I think this is big, huge part of my joy. I love doing this and Nick as well. And I think this is one of the reasons we can see that scientists come into this realm and do what they do best. I think there are others that will also help them to be their best. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap up this podcast. If you're having trouble putting together a budget or you want to feel a little bit more prepared going into those negotiations or even trying to select people or places that you want to apply or that you want to talk to, please do not hesitate to reach out. Damien and myself do this day in and day out. You can reach us at our website at experimental-designs.com or all our contact information will be in the show notes. Thank you guys for listening. I'm Nick. I'm Damien. And this has been the EQIQ Podcast. This was a Raul Maria production. Three young scrapping boys, we can do this.